0: Hello and welcome back to Highway to Hoover, a production of SEC Extra over at D1Baseball.com. I'm your host, Joe Healy. We're continuing our series of conversations with SEC beat writers. And today, we are joined by my buddy Mike Wilson from the Knoxville News Sentinel. And uh, just to give listeners a peek behind the curtain, I told Mike this off off air that early in the season, I was like, ah, you know, I, I want to have Mike on, but I'll wait. Tennessee will be relevant all year. Like, this is, this is not a problem. I'll just have him on whenever he'll, you know... And then, lo and behold, things didn't go as planned. And then I, then I was kind of fighting it like, ah, you know, I don't really don't want to have him on. Just ask him the same questions he's getting asked on every single, you know, radio hit that he does about what's wrong with Tennessee. And, and lo and behold, we're back, baby. Here they were, <laughs> volunteers with a sweep over the weekend. So it was easy to reach out to, uh, reach out to Mike this week to have him on. So, Mike, I appreciate you joining us today uh, to talk about uh, a winning baseball team. That has to be a nice change given the, the way things had gone there for a while.
1: Yeah, what a concept. I mean, it's very much what we got used to with covering Tennessee lately uh, with the 50-win season in Omaha two years ago, 57 last year. So seeing a team not win games and get swept the way they were getting swept was kind of a a bizarre out-of-body experience for a minute there. That's for sure.
0: Are are you prepared to exclusively report on this podcast that the Vols are back? You know,
1: I think I tweeted the Vols are back probably early in the Saturday game against Vanderbilt. Maybe with a question mark, maybe with a couple, <laughs> I don't remember, um, but very early on, like that nine run first inning, all the two outs they had against Vanderbilt on Saturday. It's like, you kind of had to, had to throw that joke out there. Cause how can you not to timeless bullet yeah. Fulmer?
0: Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I, the, the, the storyteller in me, the writer in me wants to do some, some version of you know, uh, Christian, and I'm not defending Christian, Christian Moore's ejection necessarily, right? But it's like, uh, Christian Moore's ejection, like that. That that's further proof because that's the fire that we saw out of this team last year. But it feels like really kind of a lazy thing to to do. But I'm curious, like, I'm sure that's something that's being said, maybe not inside the program, but outside the program. Like, is that something or is that just like a lazy, like sports writer brain take of like, that has to mean something?
1: Yeah, I don't know specifically with that one. I think you look at for me, the, the overall profile of the, of the weekend uh, against Vanderbilt, Tennessee was you know down and out in the Friday game. Uh, Kavaris' tears hit that home run early in the night, I think leading off the night, and you saw a little bit of life out of the dugout and out of him rounding the bases, and you know Tennessee's identity for the past few years has been brashness uh, to an extent, maybe beyond an extent um, at times, but... That, that's what's kind of rocked for them uh, behind everything is that attitude and, and that swag, whatever you want to call it. I think they found a little bit of that Friday night. Tony Vitello credited that to Andrew Lindsay, but I think what you saw with the Christian Moore thing was the bubble over of that too, of a team that kind of found its bite uh, again, because they really didn't have that going for them uh, at any point this season at all um, against good teams, bad teams. They just been a kind of routine uh, throughout this season, but going and sweeping Vanderbilt, it seemed like Tennessee kinda got that little little bit back behind everything that, that you really needed to find.
0: Was, was this was this inevitable or was there some doubt that this team would turn it on? Because I I, I perceive that there was a little bit of a change in tone the last you know, the last couple of weeks before the Vanderbilt series, where I think there was a lot of, there was an air of inevitability. Then all of a sudden I started getting asked and I started thinking for myself, like, well, you know, maybe there's not another gear for this team. I'm curious where you were on that.
1: I think you thought there was a gear there, but the question I started asking myself was, is it going to happen in time? Um, because with the Vanderbilt series last weekend, Tennessee was five and 10 in SEC play entering that. They closed with Kentucky and at South Carolina, which for my money is the best team in the SEC. So having those two series in the back end, Vanderbilt, all of whom are ranked top 11 at that time, looking at the schedule, you're like, okay, well, where are nine to 10 wins going to come from to kind of get you to that 14, 15 mark you need to see to get to the NCAA tournament theory. So that was more, what I was interested in because you knew this team had talent. I mean, they've got multiple first rounders on the mound on the weekends. They've got a couple fringe first round guys offensively for this year and certainly a couple for next year as well. So you saw the talent, you knew the potential. It did feel like they were going to turn a corner, but was it wasn't going to come soon enough.
0: Let's dive into some player specific stuff here. You mentioned Andrew Lindsay, and, and that's an incredible story for those who aren't totally familiar, but what have you seen from him in a couple of weeks? And, and tell me a little bit about what the coaching staff has liked from uh, what they've seen from Lindsay in this, in this new role where he goes from the bullpen to, to a Friday starter.
1: Inevitability is a word you can definitely use with the change that Tony Vitello made before the Arkansas series. Um, I mean Chase Burns had, had really struggled uh, on the Saturday roll. Chase Dolaner was okay on the Friday night roll, but certainly not the, you know potential top 10 pick caliber that you're talking about what we saw last year. So change had to come. And it seemed obvious going to Arkansas that, you know, you could turn to either Andrew Lindsay, who was a weekend starter at Charlotte in 2021 before taking a year off, or you could turn to Camden Sewell as a veteran guy who started some SEC tournament games and was probably going to be a weekend guy in that 2020, 2021 20, range, if not for an injury. Um, or you could turn to Seth Halverson, who had also been a Friday night guy at, at Missouri. Lindsay was the choice. And I thought the smartest part of the whole choice was making Lindsay the Friday guy. Um, Dolander, for whatever reason, seems to pitch a little bit better on Saturdays. Uh, I d- and I asked him last weekend, is that a see the lineup thing on Fridays or what is that? He's not really sure, didn't really buy into that, but it's clear that he pitches a little bit differently in a Saturday role than he has in the Friday role, um, at least this season. So, Lindsay, man. I mean, it's a guy who's 97 that this time last year was working back in his hometown in Waverly cleaning up after flooding uh, a year and a half ago. Uh, an incredible story that he's got um, getting back to baseball. Coach Little League found his way back. And you know, guys, there was 97. He's working on the streets last year uh, for, the, for the city of Waverly. And what he brings and what the coaching staff loves is what Tony Vitello said last week. He credited Lindsay with kind of setting that toughness tone uh, against Vanderbilt. And I think he said, Frank Anderson said courage. Like it was courageous the, the way that Lindsay pitched 10 strikeouts and six and two thirds. And, you know, if this season turns and Tennessee makes a super or beyond, you kind of got to point back to Andrew Lindsay as a major turning point in the season.
0: One thing that, that may end up in that vein as well is is Chase Burns in his new role, right? I mean, that's the best he's looked all year, at least to my eyes, you've seen him a lot more than I, but, you know, going from a guy who. Well, let me actually take a step back. I mean, I was getting asked a lot about what's wrong with Dolander and Burns, and I kind of said what you said, which is that Dolander actually has been okay. Like the numbers haven't been there, and, and the expectations are really high. But he, but Burns was the one where it's like he's getting hammered in his yeah. starts, you know. Um, but he moves to the bullpen, and voila! Like I mean, that was just electric last last weekend. So that, that I mean, that also feels like a permanent change, right? It kind of feels like we found we found Chase Burns a spot at least for this season.
1: And that's where we ended up late last season, too. That was more out of just getting tired. Uh, both him and Drew B. Ended up there uh, at points uh, late in their freshman seasons. But golly. Yeah, I mean, Chase Burns coming in for the three innings there at the end against Vanderbilt on Friday. Struck out seven. I uh, was hitting 100 at a couple points. Came back Sunday to to finish out that one as well. Wild. Um, you, you knew the stuff's electric. I mean, we saw the electric stuff last year, but it's kind of that, that funny. I, I I think John Smoltz, kind of a Braves guy, guy who's got really good stuff as a starter, but goes to that bullpen and, and can do whatever he wants, uh, whatever he wants with the stuff, because it's just so dynamic. Uh, it becomes a different beast. And I mean, hitters had no shot uh, against him in, in his bullpen outings this weekend. I think he was good at Arkansas too um, out of the bullpen. I think that was probably a, a moment where he started putting it together, but leave him there. I mean, that's Tennessee doesn't have a, a closer per se. And I'm not sure if that's the guy you choose your closer because it's not something he's done, but the stuff is absolutely what you want to see at the back end of a game.
0: Kyle Peterson on the broadcast last weekend in the, the first game of the series when Burns was throwing like he was said something and I'm, I'm paraphrasing of like, you know, congrats, Tennessee, you found a stopper like you yeah. figured it out. Yeah, I mean, it just seems like there was something that 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 fell into place. Did you <clears throat> throughout the season? because I'm sure it was being asked in these post postgame scrums every time out. Did you ever get a compelling answer on on what was kind of wrong? I'm doing air quotes for those listening uh, with Dolander and, and Burns in particular, or is it just kind of the, that's baseball, you know, kind of thing. Yeah.
1: It was a little bit of that's baseball. I asked Jared Dickey, uh, the catcher of that a couple weekends ago before Arkansas probably. And he was like, they are making good pitches. People are just hitting them this year. Um, which sometimes it is that simple. Um, I do think control has been a little bit, bit of it with Dolander. i um, just, I mean, he was, I mean, at eight walks, maybe all last season, maybe that was just SEC play, but he really didn't put runners on last year, struggled a little bit with that early. But the consistent comments were Dolander is close. Uh, I mean, it, Tony Vitello never really seemed bothered by uh, where Dolander was. Some of his outings were, you know, reliever came in, gave up a three-run homer. So some of those stats were a little bit misleading with him. Chase Burns, though, was getting hit. And for Vitello, it was a does he need a reset button, a bullpen with Frank Anderson, um, mechanical tweak. What does he kind of need? And it's clear the reset came out of the bullpen Um, being in that role and getting to do that. But yeah, I think there was an element of searching for for a little bit there because Burns last year, I think it, the stat was he didn't give up more than four earned runs in an SEC start all last season, but he did it in three or four um, SEC starts in a row this season. So there was just something different going on. Um, Obviously if he's going to be a top 10 pick next year, teams are going to want to see him get back to the rotation, but For now, Tennessee's found something with him in the bullpen that it didn't find with him in the rotation. Let's
0: flip over to the position player side a little bit. Obviously, there was a lot of focus on the pitching side of things because we came in expecting Tennessee to have the best rotation in college baseball, frankly, Mm -hmm. and it wasn't that. But at the same time, the offense has been, I think, a little – or was, anyway, a little bit of a disappointment for a lot of the season. How much of that do you put on the fact that it seems to me, and and you tell me – they've had trouble keeping the same lineup together, you know, like Maui's been in and out a little bit and, you know, they're they're, Christian Moore, I think this, you know, there's just been, it feels like I look up and there's a different lineup out there than I've, than I've seen. And so how much do you put on the fact that this group hasn't had a lot of time to gel?
1: I think that's part of it. I think the root of it all is they turned over all eight position players uh, from a season ago from that team. And that team hit 157 ish homers. School record was 108 before that. You know, you're know, you not going to see that same caliber of production uh, that Tennessee fans and, and the nation saw last year. That's just, that production and that pitching staff is why you win 57 games. Uh, when You certainly get that combination. It's essentially an unbeatable team unless you make a mistake in the Supers. Um, this lineup's interesting because Tennessee didn't get much out of Maui Ahuna until the Vanderbilt series. He's dealt with some back injury stuff. That's probably affected that. But that's a centerpiece of the lineup that that Tennessee brought in. A lot of people talked about him as such an elite transfer, and he just hadn't been that. Uh, Now he's playing like that, and that's going to change this lineup. But I think the shuffling is in large part due to the outfield. Um, I mean, Tennessee's outfield has been very kind of in flux. They didn't really have an obvious center fielder going into the year. Uh, Hunter Ensley has kind of become that. You knew Jared Dickey was going to start, but he's been back and forth between left field and catcher, uh, depending on the day. Griffin Merritt came in as a Cincinnati transfer. He's, he was big, obviously, against Vanderbilt, walk-off homer in the Friday game and figured some things out, seemingly, um, after he really struggled um, in SEC play. But freshman Dylan Dryling gets in the mix out in the outfield. Kyle Booker was a starting outfielder early in the year. That's kind of been that position group where Tony knew going into the year, they had six, seven guys that were going to battle for those spots. It was just who are they going to be. Um, and they seem to have figured it out to an extent now um, and settled on who that group is. Um, but that, that's where a lot of those changes have been, uh, I think, because the infield has been pretty steady outside of the occasional injury there for uh, Maui Ahunet, short and Christian Mort
0: second. Has there been someone that, you, that you've, whether the numbers reflect or not, someone that you felt like was keeping that unit afloat that maybe didn't necessarily meet the eye in terms of the production being what it was?
1: I mean, Moore was very consistent. He hasn't been great the past few weeks, but early in the season, that was the guy I thought was really carrying it. Um, Jared Dickey is, I think, exactly kind of who people thought he was. Good contact guy, gets on base. um, Good lefty hitter at the top of the lineup. Hunter Ensley has been a huge surprise, I think, in center field. Uh, That's a a guy who hadn't played a ton uh, in his career. Tony Vitello talked last week about the summer that he had last year in Santa Barbara, really kind of putting him on the path to where he is right now. Um, And you want to talk about a veteran guy. Christian Scott is another outfielder out there that Tony Vitello has believed in this guy for a long time. And it's been interesting because truthfully, from my perspective, I'm like, I don't see it. Uh, I I don't see it. But that's a guy who's been performing very well in SEC play uh, in right field. Good defensive player, good base runner. It's like, okay, is he going to hit? He's been hitting and that that's really really helped out this team. So I think Ensley and Scott are probably the two performing, I guess you'd say above their heads uh, a little bit. I mean, Ensley two-homer game last weekend against Vanderbilt as well, so those guys have really stepped in for this team.
0: Do you think a little bit of the um because you're right. I mean, you lose eight position players like in any most other scenarios we're going to go okay, well that team's going to take a major step back, but how much do you think just the fact that last year you saw Trey Lipscomb be what he was, you saw Jarrell Ortega become what he was, that we kind of just started drinking that Kool-Aid of, well, the, you know, the, the, the next guy will step up and they're going to have all SEC players who we've never heard of before. And, and we just find out that it's it's maybe not quite that easy.
1: It's not that easy. And last year, you know, use that phrase, perfect storm, to, to describe what Tennessee had happened there. Uh, just so much came together at the same time. Um, I didn't even think Jarrell Ortega was going to be a starter going into the season. I thought Logan Steenstro was going to be the starting second baseman. So uh, a lot of things very much went in Tennessee's favor. I do think that was a part of it. I think when you talked about maybe the unknowns for Tennessee this year, it probably would have been the freshman outfielders in Dylan and Dylan Dryling and Reese Chapman. dryling has been more consistently in there. Uh, Chapman sounds like he might get more run after a good midweek, but you know, when you've got seven outfielders, it's, not so simple to just to say, Oh, he had a good midweek. I'm going to throw him in that lineup. I think Tennessee made it look really easy last year um, and largely to an extent the year before that, because you can go back to Liam Spence being a superstar out of Juco. Um, I think maybe more than anything with Tennessee's team last year, it was the bullpen arms that, that were just like, what? Like Will Mabry, Mark McLaughlin um, guys that just came in there and absolutely got it done and ended up being draft picks. So yeah, Tennessee's made a, a killing on that, as you're saying, but this team's not so much that. I think you, you knew who the infield was going to be going into this season. Catcher was kind of in flux. Outfield had a lot of options, but there wasn't so much the, ooh, who, who's going to rise up. But I mean, now you're talking about Hunter Ensley again is probably that guy who, who's putting his name out there in, in a really nice way. He's hitting second a lot, hitting for power. Um, it's great he's a right-handed bat too, because that's one thing about this Tennessee team too, is they're aggressively left-handed in the lineup. So having a righty step up was really important to this team.
0: You mentioned earlier, you alluded to kind of doing the math on, okay, you got to get to 14 wins Mm -hmm. to feel pretty good about getting into the tournament. Well, obviously a sweep changes that math a little bit. And, And now I wonder how much you look ahead to, they've got Mississippi state, we have yep. got Georgia and Georgia's playing a lot better. It should be said, um, you know, in the new UN with South Carolina, which it's like to your point, like good luck with that one. But, um, you know, but with a couple of series that are imminently winnable the next couple of weeks, does the math in your mind change where now you start counting to like 16 wins because that gets mm-hmm. you in the in the host discussion? How much do you think this sweep is at least outside the program? Because internally, I know we're, we're going to get the stock answer if they're not worried about it. But how much do you start to wonder about changing the math to looking for 16 wins as opposed to 14?
1: Yeah. I mean, the math makes more sense now. Uh, I mean, you're, if you, I said going into van, you have to win two. Uh, I mean, to give yourself a shot here. um, So think if you went one and two last weekend, you're sitting at six and 12 and that's a a steep uphill um, to get to those marks, but eight and 10 is a completely different game. You get, if you can go five and one in the next two weekends, which caveat to that is Tennessee's hasn't been great on the road. um, And they go to Georgia where Georgia, as you said, is playing well, had a great series against Arkansas if you can go five and one in those series, you're now at 13 and 11 and you've got two left with Kentucky coming to Lindsey Nelson where Tennessee's a different team and then going to South Carolina. So you go into those games, needing to find some, some wins there as well. If you get three out of that, you're at 16. So it is a very different conversation and the math is certainly much more achievable. Um, obviously a sweep or two against Mississippi state puts Tennessee on the right side of that math as well. Um, but what they can't afford is to flub. Uh, any games at this point because I think you look back at that that sweep opening the season at Missouri and you say ah yeah that that one that's stinging right now Uh, because if you even win one of those you're talking about a very different picture uh, moving forward but the math is now in Tennessee's favor I think opposed to where it was a week ago coming off a Tennessee Tech midweek loss and you're thinking oh maybe you do have to get to 15 actually after a a pretty bad midweek loss
0: I know there are a lot of teams in this, this side of the country here out East that are really rooting for Tennessee to host because they don't want them to pop up as the two, because that team, as much as any team in the country right now, it's like, there's just this fear of Tennessee is going to show up in your regional and suddenly they're going to look like last year's Tennessee. And, And so, you know, if you're Wake Forest, for example, it's like, goodness gracious, please, please host. So you don't get sent here because that's just a, that feels like a nightmare scenario for a host. If Tennessee ends up on the two line.
1: It does. And it's funny, Griffin Merritt, a few weeks ago, before Tennessee kind of got it going again, kind of said that he's like, we're going to be a team, we're going to turn the corner and teams are not going to want to see us in their regional. Um, That was, I think, before the Arkansas weekend. And I was kind of like, you sure about that? Because it hasn't really (laughs) happened yet. And well, he's smarter than I am. So uh, that's been pretty accurate. But, yeah, that's, that's 100% the case. I mean, if Tennessee's gotten hot and closes the season well, that's a scary team when you talk about the postseason. And I think they're scary at home. Uh, the the Lindsey Nelson Stadium thing is, is wild. I mean, the way the ball flies, for one, but also, and Tony Vitella loves to talk about it, the Hornets' nest because the fans are very much on the field. It's very intense. So I think Tennessee would love to host as well. And if other teams want it too, then maybe that's for the better for everyone.
0: <laughs> yeah, we can just all agree that the, we'll just we'll just let them host. It's fine. They, they can they can host. We'll just, they can just plug them in. <laughs> plug them in now. Um, final thing, uh, Mike. A little bit on a different topic. You, you say in your in your Twitter bio that you are probably reading. Um, hmm. his Twitter bio says university of Tennessee athletics at the Knoxville News Sentinel, probably reading, definitely caffeinated Psalm 63. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what is Mike reading right now? Or what has Mike read recently that you'd like to throw out? There is a, a recommendation. This is actually just a selfish segment where Joe like solicits book or uh, recommendations and things of that nature. So Mike, what do you got?
1: Yeah, right now I'm, well, probably finished it today. A novel called before the coffee gets cold. Um, it's been really good. It's kind of time-travel-y, but uh, just really, really well-written uh, by a Japanese author, translated to English. Loved that. I'm trying to think before that, I finished The Great Circle, which I do not recommend, actually. Um, mm. 600 pages, should have been about 300, Ooh. says the says the journalist uh, <laughs> in me. That's how you know and I really it needed could, an
0: editor, when a journalist yeah, is like, it, that's too long. Yeah, it could have been shorter
1: for sure. Um, typically how I, re- I, mean, I, I love reading, obviously given by that being in there, I typically juggle a fiction book with a faith-based book as well. Um, that's kind of kind of the path that I follow. Um, the, the faith-based book I'm reading right now isn't fully on faith, it's actually on breathing. Uh, it was on a podcast I listened to by a, a pastor named John Mark Comer and just talking about breathing, how important that is just to keep us in rhythm and, and like grounded. And it's like, huh, it's not usually my cup of tea for reading, but let's give it a go uh, and yeah. see how it shakes out. So, yeah, that's, I kind of always have a book with me in my bag. Uh, I work at coffee shops a whole lot. So if I get some stuff done and feel good about my day, I'll stop and read for a little bit and come back around to it.
0: I'm kind of in the same boat. I always have a library book that I've, I've checked. Shout out to Durham County libraries, great libraries here where I live. I'm very, very lucky. Um, I I'll just throw one out there too. Uh, as a nineties NBA fan, uh, I just finished, uh, blood in the garden by Chris Herring, the book on the nineties Knicks. Um, you know, Patrick Ewing and Anthony Mason and Charles Oakley, John Starks. And those teams had a really outsized uh, place in my early years of NBA fandom, mostly because honestly, and I say this not as a troll, but this is just true because the Rockets beat the Knicks. And I was a Rockets fan growing up from Houston um, in the 94 finals. And so like, I was always just very aware of those Knicks teams and um, it's, it's really well told. Um, It's told fairly because I think a lot of people look back on those nineties Knicks and there are some players there that, you know, had some, some legal troubles and we're not, you know, mm-hmm. we're, we're seen as air quotes, dirty players in the NBA, but it, it's, it's really fair treatment of them. Cause there's a lot of other media out there that kind of, looks askance at those teams is that they were playing uh they were playing rugby more than they were playing basketball but well, anyway I I, I,
1: basketball too so i'm familiar with it. that, that is a great
0: point yeah. <laughs> what, yeah what was what was the quote from uh was it dusty may with the quote about having yeah, yeah looking up australian rules football
1: looking up australian australian rugby butchered it yeah, yeah. australian yeah. rugby
0: instead of australian rules football or rugby so yeah, <laughs> yeah. absolutely yeah that's so you're right yeah you, you've you're familiar with that that style of, of basketball but anyway I'll blood 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 in the garden um I get i i give it my highest recommendation a breezy read like truly mm-hmm. like two 275 on the page count something like that like real easy to real easy to digest anyway if you're if you're a basketball fan out there i give that one my recommendation uh mike i appreciate it uh follow mike wilson at by mike wilson if you're watching on the video you can see it there next to his name and subscribe to the knoxville news sentinel i do it's a fantastic resource i say this with all the beat writers i talk about support local beat writing support local newspapers i know for me they the local beat writers make my job a lot easier because there's so much reporting they do on the ground that i just can't do from my home here in in north carolina so they're an invaluable resource and they will make you a smarter fan for sure so subscribe to the knoxville news at knoxnews.com follow mike on twitter at by mike wilson mike i appreciate you joining us
1: absolutely it was a blast
0: That's going to do it for this episode of Highway to Hoover, production of SEC Extra over at d1baseball.com. A reminder that all Highway to Hoover podcasts this season are brought to you by Brock's Gap Brewing Company in Hoover, Alabama. Uh, get your tickets over at D1Baseball.com for mine and Mark's live show at Brock's Gap Brewing Company, Monday, May 22nd, the night before the SEC tournament. Tickets are 15 bucks. That gets you into the show, gets you the opportunity to ask a question to be answered on stage, uh, gets you a draft beer from Brock's Gap Brewing, and also gets that $5 donation to Arts and Autism, local organization near and dear to Mark Etheridge's heart. So go to D1Baseball.com for more information. Uh, thanks to Mike for joining me. Thanks to you for listening. We'll talk to you all soon.